Hello and welcome to this week's Hong Kong Heritage. Later in the programme, I head to Hong Kong Maritime Museum to find out more about an exhibition called The Story of High Island, which is on show until mid-October. But first, I join Thea Bradford, a tour guide with the Hong Kong Dolphin Watch, as we head out from Tung Chung in search of the dolphins along the coast that make Hong Kong their home. There are now only 32 of these dolphins left. My name is Thea. I work for Hong Kong Dolphin Watch and also for the University of Hong Kong. I'm very passionate about the dolphins here in Hong Kong because they're very special and unique. I studied marine biology and ecology at university and now I'm putting that into practice in Hong Kong to try and conserve Hong Kong's beautiful dolphins. That's great that you can put your marine biology expertise to this. Now, we're heading out of Chung Chung right now on Hong Kong Dolphin Watch. So this is actually one of the boats, or do you hire the boats? How does it work? This is the main boat that we use. We actually hire a local boat. We're one of many of their clients, I'm sure. But they take us out every Wednesday, Friday and Sunday. We've got a fantastic day today going out of Chung Chung. We've got really, I mean, it's sort of blue sky, sunshine. And in terms of now dolphin populations, of course, they've been on a radical decline. How many have we got that you've been able to guesstimate in Hong Kong now? So the recent report that came out from the government cetacean lab actually showed a drop from 47 dolphins last year to 32 this year, which is a very radical decrease in just one year. Previously, there has been a very, very sharp decrease of approximately 80% over the last few years. But this number really hit home for me to show that there are only 32 dolphins that are making Hong Kong their home. Now tell me about the type of dolphin that it is. It's actually Susa chinensis, which is a Chinese white dolphin or Hong Kong pink dolphin. Uh, they're a humpback dolphin species and they actually have some relatives who live in Taiwan and they are critically endangered, those Taiwanese ones. This species lives not only in Hong Kong, but all through the South China coast, also around Macau and also to the west of Macau. And there have been reported sightings in the Southeast Asia area as well. But unfortunately, they're too understudied. So we're not entirely sure if it's one species or if there are multiple subspecies within this larger species due to population segregation. Okay, so we've got them, as you say, around this Pearl River Delta area, but I mean, uh, even Macau here, it's all under pressure in terms of development. We've had the, the airport back in, you know, which was opened in 1998. There's moves to make a third runway there. Also, the Hong Kong, Zhuhai, Macau Bridge uh, would have also put the dolphins under pressure. Yes, actually, as we're leaving Tung Chung now, there were stories from the locals that I've heard in my two years that I've been working here that you actually used to be able to see the pink dolphins in the Tung Chung Harbour, exactly where we are right now, before the bridge started to be built. So before the noise pollution and the um, sediment pollution from the bridge, there used to be dolphins right up to the pier in Tung Chung. Now tell me about these dolphins. They like brackish water. Yes, yeah, so brackish water is a mix between salty water and uh, fresh water. So that's why the Pearl River Delta is a great place to make their home, in theory. Uh, so the fresh water comes from the Pearl River Delta and then the salty sea water from the uh, oceanic water that's coming past Hong Kong. These are actually very special dolphins because they're not river dolphins and they're not oceanic dolphins. They can only live in these coastal areas that are called coastal dolphins and they're not as common across the whole world as they as oceanic dolphins are. Now tell me how they operate. They, they move in pods together? Yes, they do. Uh, there's a pod here that 
live together of approximately 10 to 12 individuals. Sometimes we see them all together, which is lovely. Sometimes they're by themselves. But usually that the average is approximately three dolphins per pod. But we'll see a few coming and going today, hopefully. Now, with your work with Hong Kong Dolphin Watch, are you able to identify some of these dolphins? There are some that I've seen every trip or every few trips over my few years doing this. There's a couple that I know the markings quite well. Apart from that, it's very hard to identify them because we don't actually take any photos of them and watch them grow up or keep track of them. That's actually a different scientific lab's job that they keep an identification record of every single dolphin in Hong Kong. Who's doing that? Uh, that is the cetacean lab for the Hong Kong government is doing that. And they do a great job. So tell me, what's the sort of breeding cycle of this kind of dolphin here in the Fowler River Delta area? So these dolphins are long-lived and they take a very long time to mature, as do all dolphins and whales. So Hong Kong dolphins actually mature at 10 years old for females and 12 years old for males. So unfortunately, it takes a full decade for them to grow up, which means that there's a full decade for them to struggle with other pressures that are on their population, such as fishing traffic, boat traffic, the Tung Chung area and higher areas have quite a lot of traffic in terms of not just local people, but also their big container ships. So the major threats to the dolphins are, as you say, this marine traffic, so getting hit by propellers, that the kind of physical dangers, uh, noise uh, has an effect, and uh, also toxins. Yes, those are the main effects that are having a very, very bad effect on the Hong Kong dolphin population. There is also a risk of entanglement in what we call ghost gear, which is discarded fishing gear from boats, that's like ropes and nets and such, Um, but also plastic pollution that is a major problem worldwide. So yeah, so don't use one, use plastic. Yes, there's a very simple way we can do that, and that is just to filter your water or get it from the many filter stations that are around Hong Kong and refuse single-use plastic and food packaging in every single way that you can. That is, shop at the wet markets and bring your own bags. Do these dolphins sometimes tail you? I mean, you know, I'm hoping that we see some today. It's not always a given, of course, as I say, with only 32 left. I suspect there are some trips where it's more difficult to see, but um, let's keep our fingers crossed today. But uh, do do you actually have some that uh, sort of befriend the boat? Yeah, we, we do believe that they know our boat from other boats because they can tell what size our boat is from using echolocations. They can tell exactly what boat it is and it must know our engine sound. And so sometimes if they're in a good mood, they'll come up and say hello to us and swim underneath the boat and swim right up next to us and look at us, which is very humbling when you make eye contact with a dolphin. But sometimes they're not in a good mood and they swim away, in which case we'll follow them slowly at a distance of 50 metres as per international guidelines. Why are the pink dolphins pink? That's actually a question that is a millennia in the making because the Hong Kong and Pearl Delta area has been a very, very dark water for a very long time. So the dolphins have evolved to lose the coloration that you see on other oceanic dolphins where they have a dark on top and light underneath in order to hide from predators. But Hong Kong doesn't have any predators, such as sharks, and so they lost all the melanin in their skin from the dark water and not needing to hide from predators. So that turned them white. And then because of the currents that are influencing Hong Kong, the Hong Kong's waters are actually very, very warm in comparison to other waters around. So they, when they're swimming around, they need to cool themselves, and so they end up blushing. That is, bringing their <laughs> blood vessels to the top of their skin in order to cool themselves down. 
So it's not eating tomato soup or shrimps? <laughs> no, but I often get that question from little kids who think that they eat a lot of shrimp. And uh, so this is a sort of a blushing, getting getting rid of the, the heat. What's the formal name for the dolphins? Officially, Indo-Chinese humpback dolphin. Ah, okay. Tell me about, you know, with the, the pod that you see of these 10 or 12 dolphins, have you seen any babies this year? Yes, I've seen a few babies, particularly earlier in the year. There were some that were about six months old. That was fantastic. Uh, there was a great trip earlier in the year where the, the baby dolphin was just becoming curious enough and confident enough to come up to say hello to us without its mother. But then the mother would swim back and say, you get back here, you're not old enough to leave me yet. So we have to keep an eye out for the calves today because they are the future of Hong Kong's dolphins, even though there's possibly only two of them at the moment. So I'm having a super day out. I'm on board the Hong Kong Dolphin Watch boat with Thea Bradford, who's a tour guide with Hong Kong Dolphin Watch, along with other aspects uh, that have been affected by the three months of unrest here in Hong Kong. Hong Kong Dolphin Watch has also seen uh, their numbers plummeting of visitors, so please do support them. They do fantastic work. And it's a great family or friend day out. So I'm out on the Sunday. They also do trips on Wednesdays and Fridays. So even get your company together and come and support local companies like this. Hong Kong Dolphin Watch doing great work to preserve and try and protect these last 32 dolphins by creating education and awareness. We've got about, they're, they're quite quiet. I think they're eating biscuits at the moment, but we've actually got um, about 20 children on board. So that's also uh, the future of these dolphins as well. So in terms of the babies, uh, you know, when, when a, a calf is born, what color is it? The babies are born dark gray. And so they lose their dark gray coloring as very slowly as they grow up. They're starting to go pink at the dorsal fin and the tail first. And, uh, and then, you, as you say, they, they take a while to uh, become adult. So that's at about, what, a decade old? Yes, at a decade old for the females and 12 years old for the males. And then by that time, they're sort of a grey-white. Yeah, um, they can be a grey-white. Sometimes they actually go really, really pink. Uh, it depends on, on the individual. And how fast can they go? They're not super-duper fast. I don't know if anyone has actually measured how fast the dolphins can go, but they actually used to be fast enough to very easily keep up with a trawler when it was still legal to troll in Hong Kong. They actually used to have to employ people to shoo the dolphins out of the trawling nets so that they wouldn't get entangled, which I think is a genius way of doing it. <laughs> but they were keen on the fish, I presume. Oh, yeah, so they still try and steal fishermen's fish to this day. And uh, so what do they eat? They eat small fish and squid, basically anything they can find in Hong Kong. And how does the sonar work? Similar to all dolphins in the world. They have a sonar that comes out from the, a melon at the top of their head, which is a special organ for it. And it will go off and bounce off anything that is in the environment around them, including the bridge to Macau and Zhuhai, any boats that are around them, and any schools of fish that are around. And then they receive it back in their jawline in another different organ. There was actually a very interesting study done in America that found that a dolphin could actually tell the difference between a tiny, tiny piece of candy corn and a fish. So there's a very good chance that they know exactly what they're eating. So this sort of sound is actually their sonar bouncing off? That's more of a communication tool. Oh, right. okay. The sonar is, I believe, is um, silent. 
but there's a lot of communication and there's actually going to be a new study on dolphin communication and using it to track the dolphins in Hong Kong. So in terms of the, so, so as it sort of bounces that sound off, so it's uh, creating a picture for itself of, of the environment around it? Yes, yeah, so they should be able to get a fairly clear picture of their surroundings. Oh, it's amazing. So they, they communicate together. And so, as you say, that normally, say in this area, it's about 10 to 12 in a pod. But, I mean, can they be larger, smaller? Yes, they, they can definitely be larger. But, unfortunately, we haven't seen a pod very big in a very long time. Yeah, no, I can understand. Yeah, also, as you say, because of the environmental pressure. So it seems that we're settling somewhere. <laughs> So what happens today is it we over a couple of hours we sort of track different areas. Yes, so today we started in um, Tin Sai Choi and then we took a bus over to Tung Chung, got onto our boat. Unfortunately, that means that we only have about an hour and a half or two hours for dolphin watching so that we get back in, to Tin Sai Choi for a half a day trip. But we should be able to see quite a few dolphins in the hour and a half or so. When you actually see them next to the boat, I mean, they'll be in different positions. I mean, I've, I've been on here before where it's actually been uh, two dolphins have just shot under the boat and appeared. Now, when they actually then, how does it work? I mean, they're mammals. They take a breath and then how, how long can they go underneath? Uh, generally, when we watch them, they don't hold their breath for a very, very long time. It's usually less than five minutes. Unless they're very, very motivated and chasing some fish or a trawler or something, um, in which case they have been watched and timed to have their breath being held for 10 to 15 minutes if they're properly motivated. Oh, that's incredible. And uh, in terms of, uh, so they go underneath. Now, the other thing is that when they come up, what sort of position are they in if they just want to have a little look around? Uh, so one of their behaviors that they show us is actually called spy hopping. And it's when they go up and they might turn around a little bit and just kind of pop their head or half their body out of the water and have a look around. And that's just to make sure that there are no dangers around, that they're not going to be surprised by anything. And that, that is so that they feel safe enough so that they can jump out, out of the water. How do they sleep? So all dolphins actually, this was discovered only a couple of years ago, it was discovered that dolphins actually shut their brain, half of their brain off at a time so that they can sleep comfortably while also being aware of their surroundings. I mean, obviously these dolphins are really suffering. I mean, I, you know, it's only been a few years. I, I've been on a number of these trips and, you know, and I remember tallies of 60 or 70 and that's absolutely halved. And it, uh, you know, which is so tragic. But do you think that there is, you know, in the way that some other animals are able to adapt to their surroundings, do you think that there's any hope that our dolphins can actually adapt to their environment or is it really up to us to start cleaning it up for them? Well, that is actually a very interesting question because there are so many animals in Hong Kong that are so very tough and have really adapted to the very stressful environment provided by Hong Kong. Uh, but unfortunately, it seems that the dolphins aren't one of them. They are not keeping pace with the corals and everything else that is adapting so well. So I think that it is up to the Hong Kong government and the people of Hong Kong to lobby the Hong Kong government to try and restore the environment in the Pearl River Delta so that the dolphins can continue to live here. Now, with your work with marine biology and you are out here so on a regular basis as a tour guide for the Hong Kong Dolphin Watch, you were mentioning about the eye contact that, that you'd have with a dolphin and how humbling that was. I mean, I always, and I think this is another reason why humans like <laughs> to come and do these things, is, is basically this... Uh, and, and particularly, I mean, I've got no interest in swimming with dolphins and all of those things because I think that is pretty much cruel. Yeah, it can be quite detrimental to the populations because they become very 
uh, dependent on humans for food and keep coming back and also they can go to the wrong boat and something bad can happen to them if they go to the wrong boat. So that is also another reason why we don't actually provide any food to the dolphins and we don't encourage people to swim with the dolphins either here or in other countries. Yeah, I agree. But it, I think also for me, it's like, why try to make them do things that, you know, that, that, that involve humans in the first place? I think half of the joy or the joy of, of uh, a day like today is actually seeing dolphins functioning as they're supposed to function in the wild. Yes, it is absolutely amazing. Uh, we, we try not to um, interrupt their life too much. We just try to be like sort of visitors in their house. We come and see them a few times a week. But there are points when you just connect with another mammal in a way that you won't, you won't expect to. So how long is the gestation period? So the mother dolphins actually carry their calves for 10 to 12 months. It depends on the individual dolphins. Right. So it's, uh, yeah, it's even so. So, I mean, the key thing at the moment is to actually ensure that that calf gets protected because the other problem is also the amount of... Uh, toxins that are coming into the breast milk yes that is an ongoing problem if they unfortunately the very fast development in this area has led to a lot of pollutants in the water and it's a very significantly high number of heavy metals and toxins in the water so you've been in hong kong for two years where can i ask where you came in from i'm from australia i studied at the university of queensland oh so you'd have dolphins there too Oh yes, I grew up on Morton Bay, surrounded by dolphins. Actually, bottlenose dolphins, I believe, which are different species. The only place we have humpback dolphins in Australia is near Darwin. Okay, so up north. Right. Oh yes. So pink dolphins just come out of the water next to a couple of fishing trawlers. and I grew up in Hong Kong and moved to London for about 10 years and then came back two years ago. So how does it feel being on the front deck here? Absolutely gorgeous apart from uh, quite a lot of noise from the planes but other than that it's a beautiful day in Hong Kong and you've got all the islands of Lantau and glistening sea so yeah gorgeous day to be out. Yeah Hong Kong's really turning it on today isn't it? Yes. <laughs> yeah yeah. But uh, now you were born and grew up in Hong Kong but this is the first time you're doing the dolphin watch. Yes, I always knew there were dolphins in Hong Kong, but I've actually never seen one, despite obviously growing up being on boats a lot of the time. My parents said that uh, they used to see them quite a lot when they first moved in the late 70s. But yeah, I've never seen one and I just thought I really need to because sadly I know that the numbers are dwindling as well. So tell me about your experience today. It's been great because I know that obviously with anything out in nature, you're never guaranteed to see anything. But I know that we saw at least two separate dolphins, but lots of sightings of each of them. And um, yeah, absolutely gorgeous. Um, what, is, what, what do you feel about sort of being out with nature? So, I mean, I absolutely love it. And that's, I mean, one of the best things I think about Hong Kong is you're in the city and then, yeah, you know, it's just 10 o'clock in the morning and you're out on a boat watching dolphins and it was almost no effort at all to yes. do so you know so that's you know the backdrop of yeah seeing the dolphins in the sea and you've got land tail behind you you know absolutely gorgeous yeah. so, it's not a bad day out hey yeah so i definitely recommend it to anyone and you know it's great to also support hong kong dolphin watch you know in their research and trying to uh, keep the dolphin population alive 
normally your work is with human rights NGOs? Uh, yes, I work for a human rights NGO called the Justice Centre. So sometimes, yeah, I need to get out in nature to uh, soothe the soul, I think. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Hong Kong Dolphin Watch, which works hard on conserving the last remaining dolphins of this kind. From Tung Chung to Central, where I head to the Hong Kong Maritime Museum on Pier 8 to join Libby Chan, Assistant Director of Curatorial and Collections at the museum to talk about the exhibition, The Story of High Island. Using the concept of the ancient Chinese uh, like uh, records, and but we activate it, and indeed it's a multidisciplinary approach to look at an island. So it's about look at the uh, fishing villages, but at the same time to see how this island, why it's important along the maritime sea route, using underwater archaeology, using the oral history of um, fishing villages and um, also looking at the like villages and cultural and how also like what about the social context and how would it be sustainable in the tourism and we try to use different angles to look at one island. So where is High Island? Yeah, so High Island is in Sai Kung. So um, if people go hiking, there's a reservoir called Wan Yi Reservoir that was indeed now is no longer an island because of the reservoir built uh, in the 70s. It was the third biggest island in Hong Kong. And uh, so you could see around there, there's a UNESCO Jewel uh, Park there. And also there's a, a very interesting Tenho Temple. It's not very accessible because there's no public ferry. So people need to rent a boat to go there. But that would be very busy during the uh, Tianhou festival season. So this is High Island up mm, in, yeah. as you say, in Sai Kung. So, mm-hmm. uh, so when you say that there was, uh, so it's the story of High Island. Right. And if you come to the Maritime, Hong Kong Maritime Museum on Pier 8, it's right there at the entrance. So if you pay for your $30 ticket and then come down to the left, it's all down the aisle here. Mm-hmm. And so um, we've got photographs of the, the big bells. The, yeah. Those are the temple bells, aren't right, they? Right, right. So uh, that bell is very interesting because that have a very clear record about in Chenung period, uh, it was built, at least uh, uh, in Chenung period. So when was that? Uh, that would be around like 18th century. Yeah, and um, this is a very, very unique Tenho temple because this is the only one temple that Tenho got that will be carried out to have a parade in the sea every two years. In the sea? Yeah, in the sea. So it's very unique. So you could see um, on some pictures shown in the exhibition or the video, you could see it's like a festival and people would be selected to be, uh, like uh, they would dress in a blue robe, blue chansam and carried with a sedan chair. Inside the sedan chair is a statue of Tenho. So they will carry on the boat and then do a parade. Here we also exhibit that is a, a sacred a cup. It's indeed two blocks of wood. And then um, here we also um, uh, exhibit um, that is a, a sacred a cup. It's indeed two blocks of wood. And then they would ask um, Ten Ho, would you be happy? What do you feel? So they will see yes or no, and then um, see would they go several rounds in in the sea or go back to the temple. So it's very interesting. <laughs> so the the goddess Tinhao mm. is actually carried out into the sea exactly. every every two years. Every two years, exactly. Ah. Yeah. 
Now, in the background, you may have heard there's a, a woman talking. This is part of a big screen for the oral history, is it? Yeah. Sort of various villages that have been interviewed. Right. So we interviewed a selected group of people that would be around like um, 15 to 20 people. And then we interviewed them, their daily lives and what they've been doing um, in High Island since they were a kid. And uh, some of them, they are fishermen. Some of them, they would, uh, we would ask them about their education because the government built the schools uh, on High Island until uh, 1950s, late 50s. So the Tanka people, usually historically, they get lesser chance to study because of the history. So um, now they got a chance to go to study and even they still need to go with their parents to to do fishing <laughs> but still I think like in the flow of the years uh, at least like two three months they can study that is very important so education is a very important component how high islands um, are, are like residents um, they change their lives mm -hmm. so the high island residents are tanker Tanker people, they, yeah. they basically, so they're the fisher, yeah. fish, uh, absolutely tra traditional fishing yeah. people. So when mm. would they have first come to Hong Kong? Yeah, so um, like uh, before answering your, your questions, is a combination of Tanka people on living on boat and Hakka people. Um, they have houses, um, even in small houses. So uh, Tanka people is hard to trace. Uh, they would claim themselves maybe I'm I came from like Proudada River but it's hard to because they would not write down mm. their history and they would not have their ancestral books or family trees that kind of thing but uh, we can look at how Hakka people record their family backgrounds um, that would be around like late Ming Dynasty is about like 15, 16, less than 20 uh, uh, like generations it's still like a long period of time they settled in Hong Kong. I'm at the Maritime Museum, or the Hong Kong Maritime Museum, on Pier 8 today, and I'm talking with Libby Chan, who's the Assistant Director, Curatorial and Collections here at the Hong Kong Maritime Museum. We're looking at the story of High Island, which is about uh, the Tanka and Hakka people who live in High Island, in Sai Kung, some of their traditions, festivals. You can see it all down the side when you come into the entrance. So this exhibition is on until the 15th of October. Tell me about some of the ceramics. Yeah, so the ceramics here, uh, you see different like periods of ceramics that are found uh, close to High Island, including a very interesting shipwreck material in the um, Ming Dynasty found in the Man Yi uh, Reservoir. That's a very unique uh, materials. We try hard to borrow them from the AMO, uh, from the government office. And, uh, so the Antiquities Monument exactly. office. Exactly, yes. yes. Yeah. So that one, we couldn't, so um, the big block now is with the History Museum. And uh, we got some more uh, fragments uh, that can prove indeed that has an uh, um, active trade during the Ming Dynasty uh, around uh, Hong Kong waters. So that uh, is something that we could show the trade here. And also there's um, two uh, pieces of Yuan Dynasty, which is around 30, uh, 40th century ceramics uh, that came from Fujian province. So also prove that, that indeed, even it's not like many, 
but still there's some two pieces <laughs> that was founded by the um, archaeologists, underwater archaeologists uh, Bill Jeffrey and his team, uh, Underwater Archaeological Group. Another very important like um, excavation that would be the Song Dynasty anchor stock stone. Um, that is, it looks like a very simple, elegant shaped um, a piece of stone. Uh, but like indeed, this is a very important historical object. It's found until like 2007, uh, 16 or 17, and excavated in 17, and um, being conserved um, uh, here. And this song anchor stock, um, the wooden part is also already gone because it's yeah. organic, yeah. and um, it's found very close to High Island. And um, this kind of anchor stock. You could also find in the Nanghai number one shipwreck um, during Song Dynasty that now the big shipwreck uh, museums can be found in Yangjiang in Guangdong province. My thanks to Thea Bradford and Libby Chan. The story of High Island Exhibition is on until the middle of this month. If you'd like to go on a dolphin tour, then look up Hong Kong Dolphin Watch and I hope you spot some and have as much fun as I did. Thanks for listening and join me next week on Hong Kong Heritage. <laughs>